Man, they make my job so easy because I get to serve underneath them. But then I got guys like this. Didn't Pastor Jerry and Leah do an amazing job this morning? Man, don't I? I got the easiest job. They make me look so good. Then Justin and Hannah. That's Hannah if you hadn't met her. These are our Unleashed pastors. Every Saturday night, they minister and preach. And you know, what's awesome about it is, um, you know, when you're reading the Bible, you see the guys that got one talent. Some were given, one was given two talents, one was given five. You know, I'm surrounded by five talent guys. And that makes me, I only got two talents. One, I got a talent of just showing up, uh, whether I'm wanted to or not. And two, I got the talent of marrying a beautiful woman. And so with those two talents, it somehow got me to slip into the slot I got to be in, surrounded by an amazing group of people. But on our elderated team, awesome. Thank you, Justin. Thank you, Anna. There, he come in tonight and they're on their way to Disney. So he really had to move his schedule. Isn't it awesome they get to go to Disney? I'll tell you what. You find somebody serving the Lord, you will always find somebody blessed. It just works that way. Real quick, we're going to take up tonight's offering. Uh, our ushers are going to come and receive it. Now, on, in El Dorado, we do it through the pastoral blessing offering. What we do is we present it and we make a declaration that what we're giving to God will do what God said it will do. Now, um, I'm just going to pray over yours tonight. But I got to tell you, there, there's no life worth living like the one that God destined for you to live. And financially, if you'll do it His way, man, it will blow your mind what God can do. It, it just shocks me um, in our life, in the arena that God has let us be in financially, that how the understanding of five loaves and two fishes allows me to get to do and be and go and do the things I get to do. Because... I always look at what I got coming in. And I don't have to worry about what I got going out except the first 10%. If all I do is make sure the first 10% goes where it's supposed to go, I'll tell you, the rest is not my issue. And if you've not been there, you've got to try it. You've got to try it. Just give it a season. Give it, give it six weeks. We, um, we did a, the challenge at the first year in El Dorado. Challenge people for... 90 days to jump on board if you never have, and we'll give your money back if you don't. And if God didn't keep his word, we had 100 people sign up on that commitment. Not a single one came back and asked for their money back because God kept his word to all 100. That is amazing. I watched, there's one person particularly in the church that has been with us for, since the beginning, and he had never been a tither. He came up during that process. And he every week would want me to pray over his tithe because uh, traditionally and as a custom, that's what they do. But we've moved to declare tithe envelope every Sunday. And we started it January 1. And his tithe was at this level. By the time the 90 days were over, his, this is, it just blows my mind. I'm not going to say his, his name because, you know, but it was three times larger than it was by the time we started. He, I mean, it's just amazing. It works. So let's pray. Father God, I thank you. For the opportunity to depend on you and not depend on us. I thank you, Lord, that all you ask us to do is just keep you first. And then you take care of everything else. When we move into that realm of faith, Lord, you take care of everything else in our lives. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Be blessed in your giving. We're going to dismiss our kids real quick. We're going to get jumped in and started. Um, where we picked off, where we stopped this morning. Because... I don't know if you felt the cliffhanger, but it was a cliffhanger. Um, Because how many of you guys grew up in the late 80s, early 90s, watching the cartoon G.I. Joe? Y'all remember the old G.I. Joe? All right, now, 
if you're not in this age gap, it's probably you're not going to understand this analogy. But, you know, you would sit and you would watch G.I. Joe, the cartoon would play all the way through. But every time the cartoon would go over or end, it would end with the public service announcement. How many of you guys remember the public service announcements G.I. Joe always had? And this was their statement. They would show a problem. They would show the solution. And this was their statement. Now you know, and knowing's half the battle. Well, I know when I walked out of here this morning, I left you knowing that you're in the process of God. But you have to know this too. Just knowing is half the battle. That's, that's not all you need to know. You don't need to know God's at work because God has a work for you to do. And tonight, we're talent, you've got to learn to become an overcomer. Because all of your life, every one of the walks and steps that God calls you to move into, it will ha- have accompanied with it the power of you being able to overcome. Problem is, a lot of times we want God to do all the work. And if you're depending on God to do all the work, you're not becoming what God has created you to become. He's made you more than a conqueror. He, he expects you to be more than a conqueror. He expects us to rise to the occasion and become an overcomer. And if you just depend on God to do it, the Bible says faith without works is dead. It's just the truth and the reality that faith without works is dead. So there is a part that you and I have to play. Yes, there is a process that God is at work in. And you understanding that He is at work and He is going to do what He said He was going to do. thing about it is, He's going to do it through you. Now, I need to lay this out real quick because a lot of people don't understand the, maybe the, the will of God for their life. The will of God. God has a will for your life. And God's will is for you to overcome for you to succeed and for you to become all that He knows He's created you to be. problem is a lot of us don't know how to find this will. And if you don't know how to find this will, you spend your life trying to reach around in the dark. Well, there's a couple kind of easy ways to find the will of God for your life. One, there's a thing called the sovereign will of God. The sovereign will of God is what God's going to do no matter what. God is going to do, there are things that he's decided and it doesn't matter how you try to change it or what you think about it or how hard you pray against it or try, God, like for example, when he said that his son was going to come and redeem man, no matter how many people tried to stop Jesus from coming, Jesus was coming. It was the sovereign will of God. The Bible says Jesus will return again for the church. I don't care how you try to stop it. There will be a day. The Bible says that God knows the time and God knows the hour that he's going to come back. That is the sovereign will of God. There's a sovereign will of God at work on this planet right now. And the thing about it is you don't have to be afraid of the sovereign will of God because God brings his sovereign will about through people. For example, when Jesus came, the way that he allowed Jesus to come was he found somebody that was willing to submit or position themselves in a place and in a way that the sovereign will of God could flow through. Mary had lived her life a certain way that God could allow the sovereign will of God to come through her. Now, you need to know this too. If you choose not to submit under the sovereign will of God, it won't be stopped. God's will is sovereign. It's going to be done. And you can look at it through the story of Saul and David. Saul decided he was going to try to do God's will his way, so God had to choose another. So we get the option to live under the sovereign will of God. And the sovereign will of God, we get the option for, we get to be a part of it. Isn't that awesome that God wants to use me and God wants to use you to do the sovereign will of God on this earth? We say, well, Craig, how do I position myself there? Number two is to line up with the moral will of God. 
when you position yourself with the moral will of God, when you live the word of God the way you're supposed to live the word of God, when you live it's the it's God's house rules, when you do it the way he said do it, you live the way he says live, you 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 discipline your life the way you want, then what it does is your moral will positions you for the sovereign will, which then in return brings you into your personal will of God. Because God has an individual personal plan for each person in this room. God put me here for a reason. I am the answer to somebody's problem. Jennifer probably thinks the exact opposite. He is the problem of every one of my answers. But that's not what God did. He has a personal will of God for me. And he put me here because I am the road to heaven or salvation for somebody. When I position myself in the moral will and I choose to allow the sovereign will to work through me. Now, understanding that, you have to understand that God, to do all of that, you have to make up your mind to be an overcomer. You can't just lay down and let life walk you over. You have to decide, I am going to be and do what God put me here to be and God put me here to do. Now, we have to learn to overcome adversity because it is what God has called me and you and purposed me and you to be here to do. Now, the problem with it is, is a lot of people think that the work is all God's, but the work is not all God's. God will do what you can't do. See, we're going to get to heaven one day, and when we get to heaven, God's going to look at us and say, what did you do here? And if anybody in this room, I believe, says, well, I did everything I could, God's going to go, ah, you missed it. Because I believe what God's supposed to do is, when you get to heaven, you say, well, he says, what did you do with the time I gave you there? We're supposed to say, God... You did more through me than I ever thought was even possible because you are ever you you caused everything wrong with me to be right with me when I submitted to what you've called me and put me here to do. So tonight I want to jump into a situation of of what when you read this story, it's one of those problems and one of those stories in the Bible that has been so overused. You know me that. My personality is I like to find the parts of the Bible that other people don't like. And I try to make that I like to find cool stuff in it. But this story in the Bible has been so used that it's hard to preach any new revelation out of it. So if you came here expecting new revelation, I'm sorry. <laughs> but I got you here. Um, but you need this. We're going to talk about how to become an overcomer. And we're going to come out of Daniel chapter 6. Now the problem with it, there is a law at work in this room. And there's a law at work in this life, and it's called the law of familiarity. And what happens is a lot of times, because we get so used to doing what we do, that what we used to be so excited about and we used to love so much no longer is an excitement or a joy. What becomes is a burden. That's why like people that get married on their wedding day, man, they, they don't care what it costs, what they got to do. What, they're just Google eye, Google eye. But then a couple years later down the road, they've gotten so comfortable and used to each other that they're doing everything they can do to get away from each other. It's called the law of familiarity. They're the, they're the same people. The problems were still there before, but it was, just, it was just all new. thing about the church and the church world is this. We can sit on the church pews so much and so often the law of familiarity can come in. And you can get so used to hearing the things of God that what God's trying to tell us a lot of times just goes right over our head. We just overpass it or we overlook it. And so this is not a great revelation, but I believe it is a, a revelation that, man, if you will just lean in tonight and you'll try to grab these pieces, it will change. We're going to read quite a lengthy story here. And it's one of the most popular stories in the Bible. And so don't let me lose you as we read this because the truth is very few people have... Everyone has heard this story, but very few people I have found has actually sat down and read this story word for word. 
when you read the story word for word, it is so full of such revelation that it will change the way you fight and the way you battle. It's not just enough to know you got to overcome. You need to know how to overcome. So we ready? Okay. It says in 6 verse 1, it says, It pleases Darius to set over the kingdoms 120 satraps to be over the whole kingdom. And over these three governors, of whom Daniel was one, that was the, that the satraps might give them account so that the king would suffer no loss. Then this Daniel dis, uh, dis, <laughs> distinguished himself above the governors and satraps because of an excellent spirit within him. And the king gave, them, gave thought to the settings him and gave thoughts to setting him over the whole realm. Tell you what, you you know how to make this even more interesting and better to be listened to as we read. If Jennifer would come read it for me, <laughs> Jenny, you want to come read this for me? Hey, she'll do such a better job at this. You guys know me; I trip over everywhere. But give Jen a big hand clap. She'll read it for me. Okay. So the governors and and the syrups sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom. But they could find no charge or fault because he was faithful. Nor was there any error or fault found in him. Then these men said, We shall not find any charge against this Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. So these governors and seraphs thronged before the king and said thus to him, King Darius, live forever. All the governors of the kingdom, the administrators, the seraphs, the counselors, the advisors, have consulted together and established a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whoever petitions any god or man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions." Now, O king, establish the decree and sign in writing that it cannot be changed according to the law of the men's and the Persians, which does not alter. Therefore, King Darius signed the written decree. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home and in his upper room with his windows open towards Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before God as was his custom since early days. Then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. And they went before the king and spoke concerning the king's decree. Have you not signed the decree that every man who petitions any God or man within 30 days, except you, O king, shall be cast into the lion's den? The king answered and said, the thing is true. According to the law of Medes and the Persians, which does not alter. So they answered and said before the king that Daniel, who is one of the captives of Judah, does not show due regard for you, O king, or for the decree that you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. And the king, when he heard these words, was greatly displeased with himself and set his heart on Daniel to deliver him. And he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. Then these men approached the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is the law of Medes and the Persian that no decree or statute which the king establishes may be changed. 
So the king gave the command, and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of the lions. But the king spoke, saying to Daniel, Your God, whom you serve continually, he will deliver you. Then the stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signet of his lords, that the purpose concerning Daniel might not be changed. Now the king went to his place and spent the night fasting, and no musicians were brought before him. Also his sleep went from him. Then the king arose very early in the morning and went in haste to the den of the lions. And when he came to the den, he cried out with a lamenting voice to Daniel. The king spoke, saying, Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angels and shut the lion's mouth, so that they have not heard me, because I found innocent before him, and also, O king, I have done no wrong before you. Now the king was exceedingly glad for him and commanded that they should take Daniel out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no injury whatsoever found on him because he believed in his God. And the king gave the command and they brought those men who had accused Daniel and they cast them into the den of the lions. Then their children and their wives and the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces before they even came to the bottom of the den. Then King Darius wrote to all people's nations languages that dwell on the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in every In every dominion of the kingdom, men must tremble in fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and steadfast forever. His kingdom is the one which shall not be destroyed and his dominion shall endure to the end. He delivers and rescues and he works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. Who has delivered Daniel from the power of the lions? So this Daniel prospered in in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus of Persia. Let's say that one scripture says, because he believed in his God. Man, like this probably, this, this is one of those stories that gets told so often that loses some of its power. But I just want to pull out seven things real simple out of this tonight that gives you an understanding. It's not enough just to know the battle. You need to know what to do in the battle. Number one, you don't need to be surprised when the, demo, when the enemy attacks. The enemy, his destiny, his purpose, he's decided on this earth is to do everything he can do to stop you from being everything that God has created him to be. The devil does not fight fair. He will not fight fair. You will never get him to fight fair. The problem with it is because a lot of the times we put so much positive thinking toward God, we don't see the reality of what the devil's trying to do. When the devil comes and attacks us, a lot of times we go, I can't believe this just happened. You need to go ahead and settle it in in your spirit that the devil is going to attack you. The devil is going to come against you. The devil is going to do everything he can do 
to stop you. The Bible says he has come to do nothing but to steal, kill and destroy. As much as God gets up every day with the plan for your life, the devil gets up with an agenda for your life. And the devil's agenda is that he does not fight fair. So we should not be surprised when the devil comes in in a way that maybe we didn't expect. If he comes against you with your children, that's the devil. There's an old saying about a scorpion that was trying to get across a river. How many of you guys have heard the old saying? Scorpion trying to get across the river. Scorpions can't swim. So there was a frog sitting on the side of the bank. So the scorpion comes up to the frog and says, Frog, will you give me a ride across the river? And the, river, the frog was like, No, I'm not going to give you a ride across the river. Because the minute I get you on my back, you're going to sting me. And if you sting me, we'll both drown. And the scorpion's like, Oh, no, I would never do that. I would never sting you. Because if I sting you, we're both going to drown. What sense would that make? So the frog thought about it for a minute, let the scorpion get on his back, started swimming across the river. About halfway through it, the frog felt a spine-killing pain go right through his back. And he looked up and said, Scorpion, why did you do this? Now we're surely going to die. The scorpion simply said as they went underwater, It's my nature. It's all I know to do. You need to understand, the devil has no nature but except to come against you. Do not be surprised if he comes against your marriage. Do not be surprised when he comes against your finances. Do not be surprised when he comes against your destiny. Because he's already been defeated by God. Now the only hope he's got is if he can defeat you. The thing about it is, if you're on God's side, you can't be defeated either. And the simple thing about an attack he brings against you is this. Is he will hate the day that he thought he could take you out of the hand of God. Because God is on your side. You need to understand, you don't be surprised. When the devil attacks. I don't know how many battles I've been sitting, doing everything I know to do, trying to live right, be right, and get right. And then all of a sudden, the enemy will come in and try to knock me off my feet. And I'll let the emotion of surprise hit me. But I can't believe he just did that to me. Can you, if, you've, if I had a dollar for every time I went to Jennifer and said, Jennifer, can you believe what they just did? I'd be a rich man at this point. For some reason, no matter how many times the enemy's tried to destroy me, I still allow myself to be surprised when he does. I've decided to take the next approach. I'm not going to be surprised when he comes against me anymore. I'm going to expect it because that's who he is. There's nothing good in him. He's going to do everything he can do to stop what God's put you here to do. And once you settle that into your spirit, that when I get up, the devil's fighting me. When I go to bed, the devil's fighting me. When you get that settled, you'll come to the place to understand. He don't fight fair, but it is a fixed fight. He cannot win. And so don't be surprised when the devil comes against us. See, Daniel, he was in an enemy's country. And when these guys came and did this to him, he did not get up and be like, Oh, king, they did this to set me up. No, he expected this to happen. He expected the enemy to try to stop him from fulfilling the purpose that God put him here. Because, see, the thing about it, if you allow it to surprise you, if you're not ready, be vigilant and sober, the Bible calls it. If you're not ready for the attack, what will happen is you'll get in the flesh. Because you'll let your emotions get involved. Surprise always brings about emotions. And when you allow the emotions to come into play, you're already in the flesh. And if you try to fight these spiritual battles in the flesh, you will lose. You've got to come to the understanding this. This is not a cruise ship. This is a battleship. The devil does not want me to stay married. I should expect that. The devil does not want me to be blessed. I should expect that. The devil does not want my kids to serve the Lord. I should expect that. Instead of letting situations surprise me and toss me to and fro from storm to storm, I need to know the devil is real and he's coming after me and there's no rules he won't. But there's no such thing as a fair fight. What is that? It's like when you see these people that are getting busted selling drugs 
and they go to jail overnight, and the next day they get out, and then the next day five people get arrested, and they're like, I can't believe he ratted on me. There's no honor among thieves. There's not. There's no honor, and the, the devil's going to fight you. Don't be surprised. You're not special. He don't like you more than anybody else. He hates you. you he, he was, his purpose is to keep the God in you for making you what God put you here to be. So you don't be surprised when the enemy attacks. You need to know this. The devil, the devil will never fight fair. You know, I was a little guy, and I always wanted to be a big guy. So I got a few fights going up, and I learned this. If I try to go into a fight at the size I'm in, and I fight fair, I'm going to get beat every time. But then I learned the power of a stick, or the power of a rock, or the power of a surprise. And I could knock down giants or guys bigger than me twice my size because I learned to fight dirty. Don't you know something? The devil only knows how to fight dirty. And I don't care how big you are. If you try to do this in the flesh, you're going to, our battles are not carnal, the Bible says. So another thing you need to understand is this. You're not fighting people. There's always a spirit behind somebody that is coming against you. It is not a fight. And you can spend all your efforts and all your energies trying to fight people. It's never people. People, honestly, are so self-absorbed, they're not worried about your destiny. They're trying to accomplish theirs. And if they're doing it in the flesh, it's giving the devil a foothold for them to be used by him to try to attack your spiritual destiny. And so if you will choose not to get in the realm of the spirit of the flesh, but stay in the realm of the spirit, and you don't fight with carnal weapons, but you fight with mighty weapons, which are weapons of spiritual, of spiritual nature, then what happens is you can't be beat. See, it's not... That the devil, the devil can't win that he don't fight fair. He will never fight fair, but you have to know it's a fixed fight. So when you understand it's a fixed fight, all you have to do is you have to move to a place to know what to fight with. Now, the Bible says this. The Bible said these guys came against Daniel, and it says they tried to find fault against him. Let me give you just a help in here. If you give the devil a weapon, he'll use it. Any door you leave open in your life, he's going to walk through. Don't get surprised. If pornography is in your marriage, don't be surprised if your marriage falls apart. If, if sin is in your life, if, you're, if there's a door open in your area, that in, the, in a place that the devil can walk through the Bible, says don't give the devil a foothold. So whatever door you have open, why are you shocked when the devil walks through and says, Honey, I'm home because you left the door open for him. See, the Bible says when, the, when they came against Daniel to stop his destiny, they could not find any fault. Now, are you saying, Cricket, do I got to live perfect to be an overcomer? Absolutely not. Because here in this story, it gives a little glimpse on what tool or what weapon Daniel actually used. It says they could not find any fault in Daniel except the faithfulness he had in his God. I want you to know something. God, the devil will figure out a way to use anything against you. He will. But if all he can find is faithfulness, you can't be defeated. It never said Daniel was perfect. It only said Daniel was faithful. If you want to be an overcomer, I want you to know you may never become faithful. You may never become mighty on your own. But if you will just become faithful, if if you'll just make the decision that, you know, I may not ever get it right, but I'm going to make sure I'm there. You're giving God something to work with. You don't know how many times that I've had to show up knowing that I had blown it in so many ways, but I just kept coming up. You've seen the talent I'm surrounded by. There's so many people that could take my place better than I can. Do you know why I get to keep my position that I have in this ministry? It's because I keep showing up. Even on days when they didn't want me to, I was there. 
Even on days when I didn't feel qualified, I was there. Even on days when I couldn't hardly walk across the floor or crawl into the room, I would make sure I was there. The greatest tool in your arsenal is not you living sin-free. It will be you being there. The greatest power and weapon you'll have in your marriage is not that you might get... Uh, Jennifer, Jennifer has to bite her tongue all the time because I'm not a nice guy a lot of times. And so she all the time, I've learned where I can see it in her face now. When she does like that, I know I said something that hurt her feelings. And she's not, she's learned to bite her tongue. But she never, she's not, I don't have to worry about her leaving because she don't have to worry about whether or not I'm coming home or not. I'm coming home. I'm, I'm going to be there. I'm faithfully going to keep showing up. I'm here to tell you, you may not have any strength to do anything else for the kingdom of God except show up. But if you'll just keep showing up, the power of your faithfulness is a strong enough weapon in your arsenal that God can use to eventually get you to place where you have won. I tell you, if, if you are looking for a reason to quit, you've already lost the battle. If you're looking for a reason to get offended, the Bible says that whatever you seek, you'll find. If you come in these doors looking for a reason to be offended so you don't got to come back next week, just don't come back next week. You've already lost the battle because faithfulness is your strongest is your strongest weapon in your arsenal. And if you will learn to be faithful on the good days, if you'll learn to be faithful on the bad days, you may not know what to do when you get there, but you're there. You may not know what to say when you show up, but you show up. You do not, you make the commitment, you settle it. That if it, nobody else is going to be there, no one else is going to show up, it's going to be me. I'm going to be faithful. Then God has something He can work with. He's got something He can make an overcomer with. He's got something that He can bring a victory through in your life. Daniel, the Bible says they, they couldn't find anything against Him except His faithfulness. Man, I wish that was my reputation. I wish my reputation was... You know, I'm always worried about things like, man, I, w- I wish people think I'm a, I'm a good preacher. I wish they'd think I'm a strong Christian. No, I've gotten to the point now where I just want people to see that I'm faithful. And when they see that I'm faithful, you need to understand, there's no way I can be defeated. So don't, don't, don't be surprised when the devil comes against me. And when he does come against you, rise up and say, hell or high water, I'm there. Faithfulness means committed. You know what committed means? There's not an option not. In the idea, in a picture of what committed is, in the, if you were to cook a meal that involved committed and faithful, it would for breakfast it would look like ham and eggs. See, there's a lot of people that like to be chickens when it comes to Christianity and their place with God and the battles they fight. They like to be a part. They like to contribute a little. But that's just involved. Committed is the ham. There is no other option. He didn't walk away from that meal. That is who he is. And that is what he's going to do. And if there's nothing else after this, that's all he's going to be. And if you're not going to be faithful, you're not going to be victorious. Paul said this. He didn't say that I am such a gifted speaker. God placed me into the ministry. He didn't say, man, I'm so strong. Spirit. He said, God found me faithful. The greatest arsenal in your weapon of being an overcomer is being faithful. You're faithful when you're offended. You're faithful when you're happy. You're faithful when you're sad. You're faithful. You just keep coming. And you keep coming. And you keep coming. And it does not matter who offends you. It does not matter what somebody says. It does not matter what style of music. It does not matter if this preacher's wearing skinny jeans when he shouldn't be at this age. It should not matter. All you should be doing is saying, I'm going to be faithful. So, Jennifer, if the style gets any skinnier, I'm never going to eat again. But don't be surprised when the enemy comes against you. Verse 4 said they couldn't find anything 
anything against him except his faithfulness in God. Now, why? Why do you got to be faithful? Because faithful people get used to winning. Daniel was used to winning. Daniel had already made up the mind, his mind that if I show up, God will win. If I show up, the battle is not mine, it's the Lord's. And 1 Chronicles 20, it says this. It says that the Lord showed up. They were fighting the Hittites and the Anuites and all the other ites you could come against you were coming in this way, that way, and another. And the Bible says they rose up and they prayed and they fasted. And it says that the Lord said, this is not your battle. This is my battle. And we love that part. But then we skip over the part that it says that they rose up early. They took their positions and the Lord won the battle. They were still faithful. We're expecting God to do something when we're wanting God to do it all. God's wanting you to be faithful. And until you move to a place of being faithful, you're not going to be the overcomer that God's called you to be. So you've got to move to a place where you expect to win. When Daniel, he was the guy that even though it looked like it was going to be bad, he did not expect or he did not think it could go any other way. The reason why I know that is because you can tell a bird by its feathers. I mean, you can, they say a bird of a feather flocks together. You can look at his buddies. The Bible says that Daniel ran around with three other boys. And there were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And when they went through their trial, this is what the Bible said. They expected God to show up. They expected God to deliver. They expected God. If you don't expect God to turn your situation around, chances are you're already moving yourself into giving God an excuse to not have to. And that means you are faithless. See, the Bible said that the children of the three Hebrew brothers, when they, or the three Hebrew boys, when they came to face the fiery furnace, this is what the Bible says. The Bible says, we will not bow because we believe that our God will deliver us. But then they threw this in there and said, but if he doesn't, we're still not going to bow. Because they had done, made the decision. They expected God to get them out of the situation and then them to become overcomers. If you're not showing up, if you're not getting up every day expecting today to be the day of your salvation, here's the reason why you're still not overcoming in that area in your life. I got up this morning expecting God to do a work in my life and cause me to become an overcomer in an area that I've been battling for, year, for um, seems like years, but months now. And I got to be honest with you, no one's called me yet, but I'm still expecting because I haven't went to bed today. But before I do go to bed, I'll say, Lord, tomorrow's my day because this is the day of salvation. You have to move yourself into the place that today is my day. Daniel expected to win. He did not expect to go into the, dan- the lion's den and expect to come out defeated. If you go in expecting to be defeated, you're going to get exactly what you expect. The Bible says the woman with the issue of blood, it says when she heard that Jesus was coming by, she said to herself, if I can but yet touch the hem of his garment. She had already got the thought patterns in her mind expecting to do something that had never been done before to do it. And when she does it, she will get the desired outcome because she knew God wanted to heal her. You got to know what God wants to do. You got to expect he's going to do it right now. Number two, God always equips you with what you need to win your battle. He's never called you to a battle you can't win. And if you find yourself in the middle of a battle, you have what it takes to win it. Now, a lot of people don't understand what it actually takes to win a battle. For you to win a battle, it takes anointing. If you don't have an anointing on your life, 
You will not win the battles that God has called you to go into. But if you find yourself in a battle, then God has already given you all the tools to win that battle. He expects you to win that battle, and you are anointed for that battle. But a lot of people want anointing, but they want the anointing without the battle. You got to understand, you don't get an anointing unless there is a battle. So don't ask God to anoint you to do something unless you're willing to fight for him on the other side of it. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, the Bible says they anointed David. In chapter 16, he was going to war. Anointing is not a good thing unless you understand anointing is a tool that God gives you to fight the battle you're going to go into. So you will already be equipped. If you're in the middle of something, then you're already anointed to win this battle. God's already given you everything you need or he would not have allowed you to go into this thing. Daniel already had what it took before he got into the lion's den to come out of this thing victorious because God, he had already paid the price for the anointing beforehand. All right, now, a lot of people say, well, man, if I was like Daniel, you, you're missing the whole picture of who Daniel was. Daniel was a good boy. He was a very smart boy. But do you know why the children of Israel were even in captivity in the first place? Because they had all messed up. A lot of times we read in the Bible and we read these characters of being perfect in every way, but yet God used them because they got it all right. And God, when I read Joseph, I used to say, stay so discouraged because I thought, Lord, man, how can I measure up to Joseph? Till I read the part where he was out talking bad about his brothers. And I thought, hey, if God could use a dude doing that, then I've done that too. So now God can use me. Daniel, they found themselves in captivity because the children of Israel had made mistakes. It don't matter what mistakes you've made in the past. It will not affect the anointing that you have in your life going forward if you are committed and faithful to what God has called you to do and you've decided to live the way God is calling you to live now. Past has no, pre- no bearing on your future. But so you got to remember this. The attack is not against you. It's actually against God. The king in this story loved Daniel. King Daniel, Daniel was the man. King loved him, favored him, was upset when he was going to have to punish him. The battle's not against you. To be honest with you, the only reason why the devil comes after you is because he hates the God in you. And if the devil is coming against you in any way, it's because the devil sees the potential of what you could be for God. And so you always have to remember when you're coming into a battle that it's not just against you, but it's against God personally. I just went through a major battle over the last couple of weeks that, I mean, honestly, I lost many nights of sleep over. Tossing and turning and tossing and turning because literally the battle I was in over the last two weeks was a life-changing battle for certain areas that we're involved in. And I couldn't get peace. I couldn't get rest. And I was battling, battling. Until I woke up one morning and realized, you know, if this happens, it's going to make God look real bad. And when I realized that God's not going to put His name on something and let it fail, it took the sting out of the battle. And I was able to look at the devil and say, Devil, there's no way you can win this. Because my God never fails. My God never loses. And God is never going to be let me be put to shame because greater is He that is in me than he that is in the world. God is The God that is in me has never lost a battle. Even if I've done everything right or wrong because I am committed and faithful to God, God will cause this thing to turn in my favor. The Bible says in Isaiah 54, it says, Sing, O barren woman. Now, this is a woman that has no power to do anything about her situation that she could do. She's barren, not by choice. And it says, you have never bore a child. Bursting into song, shout for joy. You who never, who were never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who, are, who was a husband. It says, Lord, enlarge your place 
of your, enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch your tent curtains wide. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes. For you will spread out to the right and to the left. Your descendants will dispose, will dispossess nations and settle in their desolate cities. Do not be afraid. You will not be put to shame. God will not let you lose if the devil is come against you because of what God has called you to do. If you're doing everything you can do to be everything that God's made you, you cannot lose. Number three, stick to what's worked. Stick to what works. I love the idea that all I have to do when I don't know where to go forward, is I can turn around and look where God's been in the past. I was talking to a gentleman this week on the phone, and he was in this turmoil, and he said, you know, the Bible says God's going to do a new thing, and I'm, or the Bible says that you know, the Lord's going to do a new thing, and so I'm trying to find this new thing, new church. I'm trying to find a new... And I said, man, the Bible never said for you to do a new thing. A lot of times when we find ourselves in the middle of a battle, we start trying to find what we should do new. You need to understand, you're not called to do anything new. Stick to what works. If you look in your past and you've been able to pray yourself out of a battle in the past, keep praying. If you look in your past and the Word of God has never failed you in any battle, you keep holding on to the Word. If you look in your past and you see tithing has been something that God has used in your life, keep tithing. If you look in your past and you see being committed and faithful has worked, keep it. Quit looking for a new church. Quit looking for a new wife. Quit looking for a new job. Just because the enemy's attacking it, stick to what's worked. The Bible says Daniel got up every day when the decree was passed against him personally. And the Bible says he could have kept his window shut, but he didn't. Because it says it was his custom to open up the windows that faced toward Jerusalem. And he prayed three times a day. Stick to what works. If you, God has gotten you this far, God is not going to change his mind. If what you've been doing, if you've been committed to the Lord, if you've been faithful to God, has got you this far, keep doing it. It will turn. The battle will change. God is going to see you through this thing. And you do not have to worry about trying to find a new scripture or a, a new... You, you just keep doing what you've been doing. I love the fact... I told Kenneth I was going to use him. Kenneth is in our Eldorado campus. Was it two years ago, Kenneth? Working on two years. Two years ago, closely... He walked into the Eldorado campus homeless. Homeless. Didn't have a home. Moved here with the understanding he had a home. And when he got here, it all fell apart. He just wasn't homeless. He was broke, penniless, no money. And on top of all that, he was an alcoholic. And am I right? I'm not talking bad about him. Nobody minds a testimony. <laughs> he was a 50-year alcoholic. And I love the fact, because i got to be honest with you, when he walked through the door... Because we see a lot of people walk through the door. And when the issues he was facing that day. I'd seen a lot of people not be able to stick to what it was going to take to come out of it. And he'll tell you, I wasn't easy on him. I was very hard. We sit at the table in the foyer. I'd say, well, you do this and we'll do this. And, and I thought he was going to give up. But I love it. Because there were a lot of services. Kenneth came to church drunk. Almost every service, Kenneth came to church broke. A um, lot of services, Kenneth came to the service 
in a mess. His relationship was suffering greatly because of the situations he had found himself in life. But I'm so proud that what the only thing Dennis had, or Kenneth had going for him was Kenneth was faithful. And he came to church every Sunday morning. He came to church every Sunday night. And he came to church every Wednesday night. Then he kept being faithful every Tuesday night, every Friday night. Nothing else in Kenneth's life was working except faithfulness. He was still battling drinking and losing the battle, seemed like every day. To the point where me and him had some very hard conversations. I was standing at the steps of the Elderated Church and I just decided that I was going to make him mad. And I did. I saw him get so angry at me. If he could have spit nails, he would have. But what he decided was he wasn't going to let me run him off from his victory. And so the offense that I was giving him, he decided to take hold of and cause it to drive a stake in the ground and get him more committed. And he got more faithful. It came down to the point the enemy started fighting him twice as hard. There was a DWI accident. It almost killed him. And he called me on the phone. We were talking. And I said, you need to go to rehab. And he said, I'm staying in church. I said, no, you need to go to rehab. He said, I'm staying here. I said, this right to him. I said, well, then we'll see in 30 days. We'll see whether you were right or I was right. You need to go to rehab. He said, no, I'm staying in church. He had made the commitment that I'm going to be faithful. Now, do I advise this to anybody? I don't know. <laughs> and I can tell you this. That was over a year ago, and he hadn't taken a drink since that season. How do you become an overcomer? Number one, you stick to what has worked in the past. How do you stay married? Stay faithful. How do you stay, keep a job? Get faithful. All right? how, do you, how do you get free in church? Stay faithful. That's the greatest tool you'll have. That's the tool that Daniel came to war with. He was faithful. Now, I say this. He said he did what worked because he knew by me doing what I always do has gotten me this far. I didn't get here on my own. The reason why I'm this far in the first place is because I would pray this way. So I'm going to keep praying no matter what other people or other things try to get me to stop doing. I'm going to keep doing what God has told me to do. I'm going to keep doing what God has used in my life to get me this far. And he kept doing it, Daniel did. But it seemed like what he did took him back. You need to know this. Your setbacks are God's setups. Setups. He kept doing what he was doing and instead of getting better, it got worse. Now, you know, this is a process. We talk about a process with God. Joseph kept doing what was right and his situation kept getting worse. You're not faithful until you got an opportunity to quit. You're not loyal until you have an opportunity to be disloyal. You got to understand, you can be here every time until you get your first excuse not to. And when you take that excuse, no longer are you faithful. Then you start over. Cool thing about it, God lets us start over as many times as we need to. But Daniel, what happened in his life was he kept doing what had worked in his life. And as he kept doing what had worked in his life, God kept staying with him, even though the circumstances around him got worse. Now, this is what you have to know going into it. Be certain your God can and will shut any mouth of anything whatsoever that will come against you. If you're going into the battle, you have to be certain that God can 
A lot of times we don't have a problem believing God can. You need to also be certain God will. Because He's put His name on you. He's put His name on you. know, I am committed to my children. and I'm just an earthly father. But whatever it takes for them to succeed, I'm going to do. Whatever it takes for them to succeed. I do. My little girl right now is really starring in some gymnastics stuff. I'm bragging on her too, but she is. She's an amazing kid. And I'm a dad and I get to. Um, but gymnastics is expensive if there's any parents in here. Right? And so I could have griped and complained and called Pastor Jerry and be like, my girl needs to do this. You need to give me a raise because it's not. But the thing about it was, as a dad, I'm committed to doing whatever it takes for my girl to succeed. And so when the opportunity arised for her to be on a competitive gymnastic thing, God opened the door for me to take another job. So I, have, I work another job. Usually every morning between 6 and 8, I'm working for a maintenance company outside at a condo trying to get it prepared and ready for them to open up that day. Am I ashamed of that? No, because I'm a dad that's committed to giving the best future for my kid to succeed. I'm saying that to say this. Your father is so committed to you succeeding that your success hinges on his name. And he is so committed to you succeeding that if it looks like you're going back, you need to understand. The only reason why he would let you take a step backwards, if it is presenting you in a place to be launched at a greater philosophy or greater accomplishment than you could have ever done from the level that you were at. What that means is this. It would not have been such a great story if Joseph would have been, went from a coat of many colors to the palace. We would have thought he was just special. But when you took a prison and went to a palace, the setback became the setup. Your greatest setbacks become God's greatest setups when you understand that your faithfulness is connected to your destiny. Now, going into that, say this. You need to know that God's picture of your life is bigger than yours. We talked about the two guys walking on the road this morning. Do you know why? We didn't get there. But do you know why they did not see Jesus was there? Do you know why they were so saddened? They said it in their terminology there in Luke chapter 24. He said this. He said, he said, you know, we thought or we had hoped they had reasoned. We had hoped that Jesus, the great prophet, the great teacher was going to come and deliver the Jewish people into the out of the hands of the Romans. He thought that he was going to be their Messiah. The truth is, they had an idea in their mind what a Messiah looked like. And they thought, because they were Jews, that when the Messiah come, it was going to be to save them. Well, God's picture is always bigger than your picture. And so, the Bible says we are arrows in the hand of an archer. The only way an arrow ever has power to accomplish and hit the target it's supposed to, it always has a drawback. The drawback is what releases the power for an arrow to get from here to there. A lot of us want to go from here to here, but without the drawback. God allows drawbacks in your life to launch you to where you're going. So if you feel like I'm losing ground, you need to understand you're an arrow in the hand of the archer and he don't ever miss. And if he's drawing you back, he did not remove his hand from you. And when he gets ready to let you go, you will go farther than you ever thought you could. See, they were wrong about Jesus. They were wrong that he should ride in on a stallion. They were wrong that he was going to come with a, with a mighty force and destroy the Romans because, see, their picture was for them and Jesus' picture was for me. I'm not a Jew. I'm a Gentile. 
And Jesus didn't just come and die for the Gentiles. He came and died for the whole world. I'm so glad Jesus' picture is bigger for what my life can be a part of than what mine can be. They had big dreams, but God's got bigger. you got to oh magnify the Lord. Realize that God has a bigger picture for you. And so if you're going backwards, God has a farther target down the road than what you can see. And you're just going to have to trust God's hand is there. Next thing, this is, we're almost done. This is, you have to know. Daniel knew this going into it. Everything is for the glory of God. Everything is for the glory of God. Could it be that you haven't overcome what it is in your life that you've not overcome because God can't trust that you're going to give Him the credit? Could it be that we're still battling the same battles in our lives because we haven't proven to God that when He does, He will get all the glory? This is what they said. Jesus, who, who sinned? Was it the father? Was it the mother? Was it him? Who sinned? And Jesus said this. Nobody. This is all for the glory of God. Exactly what you're going through. Exactly what you're dealing with. The problems and the difficulty. The adversary that you're fighting. It's all for the glory of God. And when you get this understanding into place. That whatever it is in my life I go through. Good, bad, and ugly. God is going to get the glory. I've made the decision that I'm going to become a God glorifier. I'm going to point everybody I can to God. If I'm failing, I'm going to let them know. I'm nothing. He's everything. If I'm winning, I'm going to let them know. I'm nothing. He's everything. It's all for the glory. The only reason I'm at the level that I'm at is because I have only, I've gotten to a place that I've given God the credit for being where I am. The only reason you're at where you're at is because you have given God has been able to trust you with Him giving, you giving Him glory for where you're at. When you understand that if I will make the decision, I will give God all the glory, this battle that you're under will be over because God, it's all about Him getting the glory. Your purpose is linked to the glory God will get out of it. You've got to, that's the hardest thing I've ever seen. Your purpose is connected to the glory God will get out of it. When you position your life to a place that what you're going through and when the victory comes, it will glorify God at such a level that no one else could glorify Him the same way unless you overcome in this area, then your victory will come about. Daniel went in, the Bible says, went in just the king's favorite. But the thing the king knew about Daniel was this. That he served a God that was a living God. And he served him faithfully. And the only way he's going to get out of this mess is if the living God gets him out of this mess. So when he came out of the pit, God got all the glory. Now, you got to understand this. The only way to test whether or not God gets the glory is the level of praise you're able to put into what you're going through right now. A lot of people say, God, when I get the victory, I'll glorify you. God, when I get the victory, I'll turn my level of praise up. I will shout like I'm a winner. No, God is saying this. If you can't give me the glory while you're going through it, I can't trust you to give me the glory when you get to it. You're going to have to... Your level of praise at where you're at, what you're going through right now, will determine whether or not you're going to overcome this situation. The Bible says this. The Bible says that God is great. Man, I have no doubt that God can... And I have no doubt that God will. So how do I get God moving in my life? The next part of the scripture says this. And greatly to be praised. You want to release the greatness of God in your life? You start giving God the glory. Start doing a dress rehearsal. Start praising Him today like you've already won tomorrow. Start praising Him today. Your glory, His glory is connected to your victory. And when you give Him the glory up front, the battle's over. 
Your greatest victories are connected to your greatest battles. You'll never win unless you learn to fight. The way you fight is with the weapon of faithfulness and praise. What that means is this. Paul said, I was content when I had a lot. I was content when I had a little. He praised when he had a lot. He praised when he has a little. Can you imagine how hard it was to praise the night he was locked up in jail? You think he felt like it? He'd just been beaten? No, he decided that the way God gets glory is the level of praise I give when I'm going through this thing. This is the secret that we've been building to right now. I don't know if you've gotten anything out of this, but I'm here to tell you this. The king in verse 27 says this. The way Daniel went through what he went through, how he went through it, this was the result that came out of it. An ungodly king, says Daniel, serves a God who still delivers, who still sets free. A God that still does miracles. Now, where did this stuff come from? It was because the way Daniel talked about his God before he was delivered and when he went into the lion's den. How are you talking? How are you praising? How are you glorifying God while you're in the middle of this thing? There's only one way to measure. And it's the way to measure the way you praise. You have to trust God more than your circumstances. And that is probably the easiest statement to ever say. But the hardest statement to ever live. I have to trust God more than I trust circumstances. The cricket, my bank account's empty and I got to pay my electric bill tomorrow. You have to trust God more than your circumstances. Cricket, the doctor gave me a diagnosis of cancer and, you know, they say I've got six. Trust God more than you trust. And the only way to measure how much you trust God is by the level of praise you can raise in the right here, right now, not when the battle's over. You have to move and position yourself to a place to glorify Him in the middle. Leah's about to come. And she's going to play us a song. The whole praise team ought to come. Because this is what I want to put before you. How bad do you want to win? How bad do you want to turn the battle? How bad do you want to become an overcomer? Because if you want too bad enough, God will start getting the glory now. Because if when you faithfully give God glory for what you're going through, the battle's already over and it's just a matter of time. All he had to do was sit in the bottom of that pit one night. Now, what you need to understand is attacks of the enemy have time frames put on them. You say, well, what are you talking about, Cricket? There's no... No an obvious reason. I mean, there's no reason why they would have put 30 days on that attack. If the enemies can't keep things in bondage forever. When you get a promise, what you need to understand is when you get to that promise, most of them will be locked up. There's a lot of us in here that have a promise from God. We know God's going to save our children. We know God's going to bring about health. We know God's going to bring in the right mate. But what a lot of us don't understand is that when you get there to the promise, most of the time the promises are locked up. The Bible says when the children of Israel got to Jericho, which was the promised land, when they got there, there was a giant wall built around it. Every door was locked. Every window shut. You need to understand that for you to become an overcomer, 
Just showing up is what you have to continue to do. But there is something else you have to do to go forward. They got to the promised land. They finally got their mouth right. They got to the promised land and it was locked up. So the Bible said they had to start walking around the wall. But it wasn't until they made a shout and the walls came down. When God got the glory, they lifted up a shout. The things that the enemy has kept locked up in your life, the walls will begin to fall down. Do you understand this? If you've been believing God for your children, you've been faithfully serving the Lord, like you got here and they're still locked up, now it's time for you to move into a point of praise. It's time for you to move into a point of glory. God needs to start getting the glory before you get the victory. They had to lift up a shout before the walls fell down. I don't know how many times I I got to where I knew God told me to be. And when I got there, things seemed to be locked down. I couldn't make them happen. I was like, God, did I miss you? No, no. You didn't miss him. Most of the promises of God, when you show up, the enemy knows you're coming. The Bible says for 40 years... Jericho had heard that they had destroyed Israel, I mean Egypt, and so they had fortified the city. The devil's been trying to build a wall between you and your promise and you and your destiny ever since he heard that you were on its way. And when you got there, you find it locked up. A lot of people give up. But if you don't give up, you keep being faithful and you learn to give God glory even before the wall falls. You will have a breakthrough and you will become an overcomer because the devil can't keep a hold of anything that God has already said is yours. Does that make sense? So what we're about to do now is this. Being an overcomer is not natural. It's not natural. Naturally, giving up, getting discouraged, that's all natural. Being an overcomer takes what Daniel had and it said, a more excellent spirit. He had a spirit inside of him that decided that when the going gets tough, my praise will get louder. You're going to get to decide tonight before you walk out of here. Am I an overcomer? And you'll know you're an overcomer by the level of your praise. Are you going to be able to give God glory for how far you've gotten so far? Because what if it's this? What if God can't trust you with the next victory because you've not given God the thanks and the glory for the one you got just a little bit ago? I don't, you don't know how many married couples I've run into that, you know, when they... God, they, they were praying and praying, asking God to bring the right mate. When they got the right mate, they think they got the right mate. So then they try to move forward and they find their marriage in trouble. And so they're trying to get a breakthrough in this area. But they never gave God a thanks for what God's already given them. Is your victory being held back because God's not been able to trust you to give you the glory for the last thing he's done for you? I got to be honest with you. If you're in here and you're saved, you got enough to give God glory for to last the rest of eternity. You should be praising Him that you're not in going to hell. You should be praising Him that your sins are forgiven. You've got enough to give God glory about to last you the rest of your life if He never does another thing. But yet we pull ourselves back and be like, you know, God, if you'll get me this, I will give you the praise. No, you need to give praise for what God's already done so that He can trust you that you're going to give Him glory when He gets you on the other side. To be an overcomer, you will have to constantly, faithfully show up and lift God, lift the glory to God. So this is what I'm going to do. We're going to create an atmosphere for some people to become overcomers. We're going to create an atmosphere here for you to praise like it's already happened. We're going to create an atmosphere for the glory to already be here. Praise Him like He's already saved your child. 
Praise Him like He's already met your need. Praise Him like He's already healed your disease. Praise Him like He's already fixed your husband. Praise Him like He's already given you the job. Praise Him because what will happen is if you can be thankful for what He's done and you can be thankful for what He's going to do, He can trust you that you're going to give Him the credit and the glory when you get to it, then there's nothing God can't do for you. Do you understand? Does that make sense? And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask us. We're, we're going to move into a time of giving you a chance. Because I feel like some people have showed up to a promise and they've been disappointed because the city's on lockdown or your promise is on lockdown. It's waiting for you to lift up a shout. It's waiting for you to give God the glory. It's waiting for you to make the sound the victory. In North Carolina, there is a... An, Air Force Base, and if you Google this, you can see it. On their sign, the Air Force Base says this, Pardon the noise, it's the sound of freedom. That sign's there when we're in war, and that sign's there when we're in peace. War has a sound to it, and it's giving God the glory. If you can't give God the glory before you go in the pit, you will not give Him glory in the pit. You will not give Him glory out of the pit. So you have to learn to give God the glory before you get there. Does that make sense? You have to make a conscious decision that I am more than a conqueror. And conquerors don't walk in with head down waiting for God to do the work. They come in knowing my God has already done what He said He will do. And all I have to do is keep showing up, keep expecting to win, keep doing what's been working, and give God the glory. And I will get up one day and I will be able to show everybody what God has already done on my behalf.